Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com and find them at FDIC at booth 2540. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. All right, so we want to welcome everybody back to the show tonight. If you've been listening, this is going to be a part two of one we've already done about a year ago. Uh, we're going to be missing one of our co-hosts tonight, Todd Edwards. Uh, he had something come up and just wasn't able to make it uh, to the phone in time tonight, but everything is still going to be the same conversation, and uh, we're just going to let our guest co-host kind of run with it. Um, it's kind of a topic he talks about a lot, so he'll be, have plenty of information. So before we get started, obviously, uh, we'll take a second to think about the brothers in Chicago, the brothers and sisters up there dealing with uh, – what happened up there and uh, pray for the guys that are still in the hospital, the families, the brothers and sisters in Chicago dealing with the line of duty death. So just take a second and, and think about the brothers and sisters up there. All right. So like I said, Todd Edwards wasn't able to make it tonight. So it'll be myself, Anthony Rowett, uh, captain with mobile fire department, mobile Alabama. Um, and our guest co-host, he's been here before. A very good friend of both me and Todd's. We're both very honored he's willing to come back on the show again. We enjoy traveling with him, talking to him, learning from him all the time. I'll let him introduce himself, uh, and then we'll get into the discussion. Anthony, thanks for having me on. Mickey Farrell, um, Fire Department City of New York. I'm a lieutenant there. Uh, 22 years in the fire service there with New York. Um, always an honor to be on with you and Todd. I'm sorry Todd couldn't make it. Love that guy, but uh, he's always grinding. He's out there teaching right now. So uh, that's why he's delayed today, and uh, I'm going to miss him. But uh, hopefully he calls in towards the end of the show. Yeah, it was, I'm hoping he's got enough time he can uh, get to the phone and get in on the end of it. I know he's probably not happy to be missing it. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we were doing a couple of weeks ago together with a bunch of people down here in Alabama and let that kind of lead into the discussion because we worked some of the things into that training we're going to talk about tonight. So. We did uh, the South Alabama Firefighter Hot Weekend a couple weeks ago, Fairhope, Alabama. Had yourself, Todd, myself, Ray McCormack, Steve Robertson, Brandon Lewis, Brandon Strickland, Joe Pettis, Tim Nagum. We just had a huge group of guys coming together, putting on some training for about 75 guys. Skill stations and live hot station, uh, live hot live fire uh, scenario based stations. That the two scenarios I think kind of really. Uh, even though you were only doing one of them with us, uh, worked into what we're going to talk about tonight. So the first day we did hoarding scenarios, just myself and Todd put people through where they had to make some decisions on how they're going to deal with hoarding situations. But then on the second day, we cleaned some of the hoarding up a little bit, made it a little bit more of a path they could go to as far as go paths than we had on the first day. And we brought you in as one of your specialties as teaching the, the firefighter rescue and they were dealing with Firefighter rescues that they're pulling up, a mayday just occurred. They've also got the decision because they've got um, confirmed victim entrapment in the building upon arrival from dispatch, and they're coming across both victims being civilians as well as down firefighters and they're having to deal with it. And one of the things that we talked about, you, well, you talked about with the students multiple times and we definitely want to talk about tonight, is the tempo and how things changed as you started hearing things like a mayday or victim trapped. Um, so if there's anything you want to talk about before we dive into it that you did this weekend or that weekend, two weekends ago, uh, and bring it up so that it, the people that weren't there can get something you were passing on to the guys that were there, go into that, and then we'll, we'll dive into the tempo stuff as that's something that you have a lot of uh, 
good information on and ways to kind of understand how that tempo is going to change and how we have to control it. Yeah, so I feel tempo, it's one of those things that we speak about often, uh, not only in the fire service, but in sports. We all grew up in playing sports from, from little league to, to peewee football on up through high school and college and to, even to the, the minor leagues and major levels. Um, that transforms over to the fire service. Uh, I've, I've met so many people that are athletes uh, earlier in their life, and they come to the fire service, and they bring that tempo, that understanding. Um, being in Alabama and kind of observing what was going on with you guys in that first scenario, I stuck my head in here and there watching you guys with the hoarder conditions. And it, it's an understanding that tempo will, will adapt to your composure, and every fire has a different tempo. But that composure translates to a mindset, to a skill set, and to be able to to adjust your your abilities in that moment, that high stress moments. The beauty of working with you and Todd with the hands on. I don't do a lot of hands on training, um, but when I do, I love to do it with you and Todd because you bring probably the highest stress level that I've ever seen um, on the on the training ground that is parallels the fire ground like almost to a T. Uh, obviously, we can't create that. Um, identically, but you know as well as I know is that Todd brings that level of professionalism that, that sets the tempo and that sets that training evolutions to the maximum. It's almost precise how he can dial that in and get across the tempo to mindset, the skill set. It's something we can't really do on the training ground. And Todd really hits that home with that conference in Alabama we do. Yeah, yeah, he does a really good job with it. And one thing we did notice and we kept even having the students bring it up to us when we'd hot wash each scenario that they recognized it. The ones that controlled the tempo when they recognized that hoarding situation and slowing down and figuring out what they had instead of just rushing through it, that they actually were able to operate faster, get the civilian victims out and get the line to the fire faster by going in that steady controlled pace instead of trying to just get through things as fast as they could. That by controlling their tempo based on the surroundings, they actually were a lot more efficient, a lot more successful. Yeah, I mean, if you ever if you ever analyze a major league pitcher on the mound, there's a tempo behind that, and that comes from breathing. You ask any elite athlete what separates them from from anyone else on the on the ball field, it's breathing. And we we worked on that breathing technique with a lot of the students there that that weekend, and I think that kind of dialed in that cadence of a fire. And we'll talk about that as you go on, but that breathing really allows you to, to dial it back, lower the heart rate, and allow you to think clearly in the moment. And that's the key thing we have to do when we're operating on the fire floor and floors above. Yeah, and while you're on the topic, I know you've, I know at the end we'll talk about where people can catch up and see you teach, um, but I know you have a class coming up with a buddy of yours on that topic where you guys are going to discuss breathing, and that's literally what he does. Um, and just the importance of it on the fire ground, if you want to let people know, um, you know, about that class, because I know you have one coming up, and it's something you work into your program a lot, but it's also somewhere, uh, he's not on the show, but somewhere they can go to that's a good resource just for focusing on that breathing and learning that how to control their breathing and get control of the situation through breathing. Yeah, and I, I, th- I thank you for bringing that up. So Danny Massa is, is a fellow firefighter that I worked with for, for, for many years now. Um, he has a program called Breathing with Danny. So if you follow me on social media, on Instagram, I'm always posting this stuff. Um, Danny's tremendous. He's a bit of a kook, and that's why I love him so much. But he has really dialed <laughs> in to, um, you know, a, a kook in a good way. Uh, but he's really dialed into this breathing, and he's, he's trained from people all over the, all over the world. Um, but so we're doing, I wouldn't even call it a class. I would call it an experience and I'm, and I'm looking so forward to it, but that's in Titton Falls, New Jersey uh, on May 7th, uh, blue collar uh, firefighting there uh, sponsoring it. But that's going to be something where um, you're going to walk out of there with your mind spinning. I'm doing a lithium ion battery class. So I'm going to be the big nerd up there, but Danny's going to bring something that that's, hasn't hit the fire service yet, and I'm looking so forward to that. Um, so if you're in the area, be sure to check that out. All right, so now as we, we, we talked about the hoarding from the Fairhope class a little bit. We hit on the breathing. So then we get to day two. We cleared up some of the hoarding. They still had a lot of 
a lot of debris they were dealing with, but there was obviously some very obvious go paths through that building they were able to operate through. But we added the stress of you're a second arriving engine, you're the first due truck, the second due truck pulling in. As you're pulling in or you're still responding, you hear the first engines operating on scene, and bam, you hear the mayday, mayday, mayday. So now the tempo just changed. You went from it was a single-story house with a basement fire was the scenario. You're working kind of bread and butter. All of a sudden, as you're pulling up, everything goes crazy. Tempo's changing. Your mind's kind of starting to race. What did, what did you see as an instructor standpoint? Because you were right down there where they were dealing with the victims as far as teaching points we can pass on from that weekend that they weren't there that you were able to give to those guys of how they got control of the situation simply by slowing down and keeping control of that tempo they were operating in. Because as they're getting in there, they're wanting to go fast because they've got a mayday. But once they got into that situation, they were dealing with it. They got to down firefighters, debris everywhere. They had to get control of that tempo. They couldn't just work as fast as they possibly could and still be efficient. They had to slow down, control what was going on, and do what was best to be efficient. So was there teaching moments you had in that that we could pass on to people listening tonight before we just get into an actual tempo discussion? Yeah, so the main thing to take away from it is before we started every scenario, I would do a quick talk with the students, and I would mainly talk about pausing, breathing, observing, orientating, and deciding, and then acting on what you're going to do, the OODA loop. I added pause and breathe for the fire ground because I think it's essential. Because every fire has a different tempo. Cadence will differentiate between what you're going to do and how you're going to perform in the moment. I think that by pausing and breathing allows you to dial in on actually what that tempo is. So arriving and having an engine company give a mayday, which is that alone sets a different tempo than if a guy on the floor above gives a mayday, mainly because that means we're not getting water on the fire. And not getting water on the fire changes the tempo drastically, not only for the incoming units, but for the command structure. The command structure now, their head's exploding. Their tempo is, is totally off track from what it was three seconds ago. So getting off the rig and being able to have that moment to pause in the moment, observing what's going on, and then deciding how you're going to act, that was critical. And those small little talks we did beforehand, as the students entered into the building and navigated their way to, to see the fire or the nozzleman at that point and then performed their packaging, uh, I could see them in the moment pausing and breathing and reevaluating what they're doing. So that tempo or that, that mind shift, if you will, on arrival and it ends there. It's every time you come to an obstacle on the fire ground, from the fire floor, the floor above, from forcing the door to cutting the roof, everything you should be doing is taking a breath and pausing. And we can talk about it in real time, but realistically it's happening within seconds. Uh, it's similar to a batter swinging at a pitch. You can watch a batter swing at the pitch. If he hits the ball or not, it doesn't matter. It looks the same because there's a rhythm to it. There's a tempo. There's a cadence. Uh, but if you break it down within the scenario of how you swing a bat, it's bend your knees, elbow up, eye on the ball, hips, follow through, and there's steps leading up to how you hit a baseball. Everything we do on the fire ground has to be as smooth as hitting that baseball. Um, and starting with that, that conversation beforehand and going into it really made a difference in rather putting them into the situation and talking about it afterwards. Yeah, so – one last thing I want to touch on before we just dive into the discussion instead of things we picked up from this weekend is on day one, when me and Todd were doing the, the hoarder scenario, you were with Brandon Lewis from Atlanta teaching vertical vent in an area of the country that is very engine kind of oriented, a lot of, a lot of short staff departments, and they're having to pick based on short staffing, and the trucks are typically doing searches, vertical ventilation a lot of times getting, you know, kind of second fiddle there to the search because of just the staffing of the trucks. Even for us being a, a bigger city in the, air, in the region, having a 500-person department, we're sending a decent amount of guys to fires compared to a lot of people, not like, like you guys in New York. You guys have a ton of people, but we're still getting, you know, four engines in a truck, four engines, two trucks. That first two truck, they're, they're riding three people. They got a, an officer and a firefighter going to do their work, so a lot of times they're just going for the search, and that, that vertical ventilation is getting delayed or, you know, not happening right away in coordination with everything else. So you were having to teach guys, and well, you and Brandon were having to teach guys who maybe not all of them had the most experience being on a roof operating a saw before. Did having to control tempo, since that's our discussion tonight, come into getting those guys more comfortable and actually being able to operate better 
on the roof as well versus just a mindset aspect of when we induce a lot of stress onto them in the live fire scenarios. Yeah, I mean, firefighting is a stressful event, especially in real in in real time. We can drill all we want, all the hands-on training, and that's a great thing. But even just seeing some of the students make the roof, that was the biggest challenge in it all. Cutting the roof was fine, but getting up onto the roof, that was the challenge. So I always say, like, getting to the roof, that's the hardest part of cutting the roof. The rest is easy once you get up there. Uh, and that comes with that, with that, again, that pausing and breathing. Every time you feel challenged, pause and reflect on that moment. And then mentally, you can have that mind shift from that mindset to allowing you to adjust to the moment and then allow your, your skill set to follow properly. Um, but even just watching some of the students get to the roof was a challenge. I like that because when we got up there, I could talk about the tempo and how they evaluated how they got there, why they got there, and what they were going to do when they got up there. Um, with that, even just operating the saw on the roof, there's a tempo behind operating a saw. Uh, the analogy I use when you're using a partner saw on a flat roof is, um, and that was what I taught, Brandon taught the peak roof. I have no experience in peak roof, private dwelling cutting. But as far as cutting flat roofs, I mean, that's what I've done for so many years. I've learned that there's almost a, a uh, it's a romantic moment, almost an intimate moment between you and the saw, and you're slow dancing with that saw. There's a rhythm and a flow and a cadence behind everything you do. But it's understanding the tempo of that fire that is critical to dialing in on how you're going to do that properly. And uh, we kind of got that at that training evaluation because it was – it was high stress. We had fire below you, high heat conditions to the point where the saws weren't even working. Uh, so we really put as much stress as we can. And again, that comes back to you and Todd and what you do with your training. But we really put as much stress as we could. And I think all the students, I think they got something out of it. Again, we were challenged with some um, saw malfunctions and whatnot because of the heat. I mean, it is the South. But uh, overall, I think that there was a, a lot of learning that became out of it, good or bad. Uh, however you perform, but I think everybody at home with, with a positive aspect and how to tackle those situations when you're cutting a flat roof. Yeah, I agree. But so as we get into the, the topic of just tempo in general, um, I kind of gave you a heads up on the way I wanted it to go, but I left the first topic out because uh, I didn't want you to tell me no. Uh, mainly because you can read a post on Instagram, you can read a post on Facebook, and, and you don't get the context of the whole discussion or the point someone's trying to make. So when we talk tempo, obviously one thing that's going to come up, and me and you have had the discussion, and we're on the same page, and I think most people are, but they get tied up into just a few words of this conversation when it comes to tempo. You're, pull, you're arriving on the scene. Are you running to the scene? Or are you not running to the scene? I think a lot gets lost in the context there when people say, I run or I don't, because we've talked about it. If I have to park a block out, I might jog up the block, but when I get two buildings away from the fire building, I'm going to stop, and we're going to slow down. We're going to walk with a purpose into the scene with the purpose being I'm, I got my eyes on the target here, and I, want to, I don't want to miss anything. So I, I'm not running at that point. I'm taking everything in so I can make conscious decisions of what we're going to do, and I'm not missing important information to make those decisions on where we're going. Do we have people in the windows? What do we actually have? Is it a single-family dwelling? Is it an SRO? Things like that. So – to me, I think that's a discussion that happens on social media a lot, and people end up arguing and missing the actual point and context of what someone's trying to say, and then it turns into an argument, and it becomes very, not aggressive, but it's, it's just a, a butting heads because it's, I run and I don't run, and it's not actually the conversation because the conversation is not truly that simple of I run on the fire ground or I don't run on the fire ground. It's going to what we're going to talk about tonight, which is tempo and controlling it. For me, if I have to park a block out, we might jog up to the scene. That's speeding the tempo up. As we get there, we get eyes on the fire building. We're slowing things down and taking everything in so we can actually operate in a better manner. What are your thoughts? Wow, you really sandbagged me with that one. <laughs> I knew you'd tell me no if I, brought, if I told you in advance. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. The sport of the fire tactic diversity has been built around a common language that Honestly, in the end, nobody understands or can admit the reasons why we perform in a certain mindset, ultimately transforming a misguided skill set. What does that mean? So I truly believe the fire floor can only be understood backwards. It must be calculated frontwards, and that's what we're losing. When we can achieve this mastery level of mindset, subconsciously we begin to evaluate risk versus reward. 
in a timely and professional manner. And I think that's what we're losing sight of. Again, every fire has its own tempo, its own rhythm, its own cadence. So the actions are, I guess, an ability to yield per your force that makes us want to run on the fire ground. I think it can stem from overconfidence, and that's rooted from false training narratives. I mean, we hear it all the time. Uh, we train to perform at a certain level, but are we really training with, with real high-life stress, real fire ground stress? So that's where the blur is. Um, can you run on the fire ground? Well, if I'm the fast truck with the RIT team and I'm pulling up and they're telling me about the straps, you know damn well I'm running. Like, that's the tempo of that fire. But if it's out a couple windows uh, on arrival, eh, maybe we should calculate the fire forwards rather than reassess backwards and just kind of take it for what it is. Uh, there's a professionalism besides understanding what's happening before you rather than just running into it. You know, the Navy SEALs, you know, they had this, this quote, don't run to your death. If the Navy SEALs aren't running into battle, why are we running anywhere in the fire ground? And then the argument comes that, well, it's their moments, their time, their minutes, their family. If it was your baby, wouldn't you want them to run? And, of course, I would. But as a professional firefighter, I understand that sometimes by dialing it back and observing and sizing up, breathing and pausing, it all comes together in that tempo, the flow state formula, that really where we have to be when we're operating at our absolute peak performance in the fire ground. Yeah, my bad. I didn't mean to sandbag you on that, but I knew you'd tell me no if I brought it up. But I think it's important because it's argued on Facebook it's just simply running and not running, and there's more to it. You know, there's more. It's just, yeah, there's it's, absolutely it's so much more to it, and that's the thing. It's situation dependent. It's sizing it up, and it's moving with a purpose, whether it's you're, you're speed walking while you got eyes on it or you're running up because they're saying a brother's trap. There, it, there's that's more the thing. To Everyone it says moving – so Go ahead. There's a little lag in the conversation. No, I'm sorry. There's a bit of a lag, but everyone says moving with a purpose. But what is that purpose? And that, well, we're losing sight. Of, no one really identifies what the purpose is. The purpose is identifying the tempo of the fire. You know, moving with a purpose. What is saving lives? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what we signed up to do. But the true purpose is understanding where we fit in the fire ground and paralleling ourselves with the tempo of that fire. That's the purpose. So moving with the purpose, absolutely, that's what we do with firefighters on that, at every level. But it's identifying the purpose of why we're moving. That's what we really have to dial in on. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I think it's important to talk about is not just the social media butthead against each other on one sentence of the conversation and miss the entire context. But that's the only thing I'm going to sandbag you with. The rest will be what we talked about. So as we get into it, <laughs> the first time we talked, we had the three of us on. So for me, a career engine guy's mindset, Todd's done a little bit of all of it, a lot of time in the engine, some time in the truck, time as a chief, and then you had spent most of your career in the truck. And we were talking about the tempos of fires and how we coordinate the actions between the engine and the truck. And I think today what we can take to that conversation, now that you've been promoted and you've got time to do – you're covering assignments and engines and go to fires and engines. Let's talk about the same thing with that tempo, but as now with that experience as the engine boss, has that changed any of your mindset or adjusted your mindset? Have you had fires where you had things where you had to change your tempo of what you were used to because of all the time in the truck to being in that engine that people can really take from those experiences you've had? Cause I know you've been working in busy companies uh, since we talked so much, but, uh, they, they can take those, those real-world experiences you've had of coming from most of your experiences being on this side of the, of, the engine, in, of the engine bay and going over to that engine side from the truck and saying, okay, I have to do this or this versus this and this because now I'm on this side of the floor. Yeah, and that's, that's a great question. Just kind of recapping what we talked about, I guess that was probably a year ago already, but um, the flow state yeah, I think it was Yeah, I think it was February of last year, so just over a year. Yeah. So the flow state formula, it's basically a formula that I've somewhat developed that parallels firefighting in a type of signature of music that is instinctually can be identified tempo, cadence, but more importantly, the feel of rhythm on the fire ground. Um, like you said now, engine, truck, truck, the engine, like with anything in life, we learn from our mistakes and spending 20 plus years in a truck company, I was pretty sure I had it dialed in. 
on my my tempo of a fire. But um, just getting promoted now and, and commanding a, a tremendous engine company, uh, these guys are dialed in on their own cadence. But I learned very quickly that the engine company is surrounded or it's it's based on a cadence rather than a tempo, a march, if you will. Um, the engine company, I often say, is the infantry of the fire service. And I, and I, I use that slogan for years now as a truckie, but to be on the other side now, it really makes sense. We're always progressively moving forward. Um, and the fact that the engine sends that cadence, the truck now sends the tempo, and it's a different tempo. So by learning from our mistakes, I had a position very quickly that I'm up with the truck company, and I'm and, I, and I'm I'm looking at the officer thinking like, all right, this is great, but really my my guys are behind me. They're hitting, you know, they're connecting to the standpipe. They're doing what they have to do, and I was completely out of position because I was in the tempo of the truck where the engine is more of a cadence. And together you find that rhythm, and that's when you see that organized chaos they speak of or that that professional firefighting where where, there, where there's no communication. It's just an intimate level of, of, of understanding on the fire floor, and that's the flow state formula. Um, so to answer your question in a roundabout way is, yes, it was a huge learning curve for me um, working in such a great company that I was corrected very quickly by the men that we are operating under a cadence, the truck has a tempo, and together we find a rhythm. And that rhythm is a beautiful thing when it connects. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't always connect. And when it doesn't always connect, that's when that tempo of the fire changes. And that domino effect begins to fall in a negative sense instead of a positive sense. Yes, and I want to go somewhere with that that I've heard you talk about before. We've talked about it before. I've heard you speak about it in your classes. And I think it's important when people hear you from where you work discuss this to understand that the same tactics work in other places, not just in New York City where there's a lot of people and a lot of companies all arriving at the same time, that we're still doing the same thing. We're still working to the same goal. The same things still have to happen. It's just maybe it adjusts how it happens. So I've heard you talk a lot about, you know, like for you, that the truck's got to get in there. It's got the first thing. We've got to find the fire and guide the engine to it. Well, now you adjust to a, a world where let's go to my world even, where I'm probably, even though I'm in a double house, I'm going to arrive first before the truck. Um, but if we do, they're going to try to find the fire for me, but they may not be out and they may be coming from the other side of the run area. And they're the only truck coming to a single family dwelling fire. So now it's on me. It's a four person engine company arriving. Well, we can even say a three person engine company arriving to be more in line with most of the United States. You're on scene alone as an engine boss. How does that adjust your tempo? But we still have to do the same thing. So when you teach, you teach from that truck perspective a lot of times, and we got to get in there, we got to search, we got to find the fire and guide the engine. That still has to happen, right? So how is that occurring? And the reason I'm asking is I know the answer because I've heard you talk about it before, but I think it's really important for people to understand that just because it's not arriving in the same way as New York City when you do a post on Instagram or you talk in a class, it's important for people to understand it's still happening. It's just happening in a different manner, if you will. Now, are you talking about locating the fire or the sequential order of tasks happening at a fire? So I'm, I'm talking about that locating the fire because I, I know okay. when you talk about yeah. it in post, it can get lost in that's New York City. They're arriving an engine and truck together. They got a lot of people. But I've heard you bring it up in classes or talk at a bar with people and make it okay. quick for people that it's still occurring in the same necessarily somewhat in the same sequence of everything. It's just different people. And it's understanding that yeah, I guess it's the same tactic just occurring in a different manner because of – but it's still the same thing. Yeah, I got you. So, absolutely. Look, I am truly blessed to be able to work where I work, and um, I never take that for granted. Uh, that being said, we have we have a – not a pecking order, more of a, a playbook that we, we use for every fire we go to. Um, never a question who's going to find the fire. I knew who's going to find the fire. Um, it's the first two trucks. They're going to locate the fire, and they're going to direct 
the first two entered into position. Positioning is everything in my job. And I'm, I'm, if you know me or you follow my posts or you see my classes, I talk very distinctly on positioning on fires. Positioning is what makes professional firefighters. Not a paycheck. Positioning. If you can gain position, you're a professional firefighter, but you're, you're a professional athlete in the moment. Um, so what you're saying is that we don't all have that position in the first instruct to locate the fire, and that's okay, but we have to understand before we commit lines to, a, to the fire building, we have to be putting members in position to locate the fire and direct the line to position. Now, a lot of times we get very lucky, and I've done it early in my career outside of the city in, the, in different departments where we've stretched the line, we've found the fire, and we put the fire out with the line. But now the man finds the line. And I think that happens probably more often than we like to admit. Um, and I understand that because I've been on the, I've been there before, but I don't think that's the right way. I think that's a very dangerous way of doing things. We really got to dial it back. So what it, it comes down to patience. If you can hold that nozzle at the front door or the apartment door and allow somebody, chief for a lot of departments, they get in the head of the, head of everyone else when they get there. They really have no other thing to than to command the fire. Now we can talk about command of the fire. You could be in the buggy down the block or in the gig down the block, the chief's got a block, whatever terminology you want to use. My opinion is one bedroom of fire. Get that chief in the position because we are already short-staffed. Get the chief in the position, locate the fire, and say, brothers, bring the line down the hallway. We've got one room. Let's put it out. Let's not overcomplicate the fire ground. And the fire service has pigeonholed all of us into the incident command system, right? And everyone thinks we have to set up into the command for a one-bedroom fire. Let's not overthink things. Like, let's just get the line in the position, put water in the fire, everybody goes home. It's very, very basic. Firefighting is incredibly simple if we understand the positioning of where we have to be. It's very similar to a chess match. A pawn moving in the position allows the knight to move in the position and allows the bishop to slide across the board for ultimate shake mate. But if you don't understand the game of chess, it's very complicated. But if you understand the game of chess, of three, four moves, and it's in checkmate, it's very simple. And that's where we've gotten lost over the years. And I wish you could bring it back and dial it back, but um, the argument always goes down the road of staffing then, right? Oh, well, staffing doesn't allow us to do that. Well, let's talk about staffing then. Like, it takes one person to put a fire out in the nozzle. I mean, that's realistic. I put many fires out in the nozzle with just me, maybe one other guy. So really, what is staffing? Um, so that's that's a weak argument, in my opinion. Um, I may be going down a bit of a rabbit hole with you, Anthony, on this one, but I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. Yeah, and then one of the big things I, I wanted to just point out is that the focus is still on whether, regardless of your staffing and how you operate, you might be arriving by yourself for a while, just an engine. The emphasis has to be on locating the fire before we start committing things. We have to know what we're up against. How much fire do we have? Where is it? Make sure we stretch the line that's going to make it to the fire, get there, and be able to operate. And we don't get ahead of ourselves and skip that step, and now we, we just fail. Um, and I, I, I see you post a lot about it, and I just want, I want to make sure everyone that hears it, regardless of their staffing, they can understand that where you're coming from when you say the first two trucks doing it because you're, t- you're talking your experiences and your job. It still translates. It's still the importance of – we have to locate the fire before we start committing things. We have to know where it is, how much fire we have, and stretch a line that can actually make it there. And we're not stretching short. We're not just pulling the longest line we have, and we got hundreds of feet in the front yard either. We're doing it professionally, and we're doing what we have to do and operating in the correct manner. There's another thing you talk and, about in your classes and you post. Oh, go ahead. No, okay, good. That's fine. But if you got something on that before I move on, go ahead. Yeah, no, so you, you posted something yesterday, maybe the day before, um, about estimating the stretch. Um, I think it was the older post, but you shared it in your stories, yeah. and, and, and I reread it, and I revisited that. And, again, since this is a conversation of, of tempo, and I don't want to get off that, but estimating the stretch will dictate the tempo of a fire. And you can always see when fire departments or companies, they don't properly estimate the stretch. Um and a lot of times the argument comes back, we have pre-connects. We stretch 150 for this, 250 for that, uh, 300 off the back, whatever your department is. Either way, you can't truly, and this is how it used to be, 
at least for me as a young firefighter, pull up with the pre-connect. You would estimate the stretch by looking at the front yard and then kind of guesstimating what you're going to do inside. But I think that the dial of that in and talk about tempo that's going to play out is that guy, a chief, that first two truck, that safety officer, the guy who's a mechanic down the block that happened to be a fireman. Now he's a, he's a retired fireman or he's a, an exempt member or whatever it is that you have. He happened to be there before you and said, hey, listen, the fire's down the hall to the right. Stretch the 150. It's very critical we don't lose that. Um, and I think that that's very important to setting that tempo or that cadence of a fire is stretching the proper line. And we can't lose sight that if you're stretching off the back of the rig versus the cross lays, you still have to estimate the stretch. You can't guesstimate. You have to estimate. Two different things when you're firefighting. Yeah, and to me, one of the biggest ways to set that tempo, especially with that first line, to make sure you estimate the stretch correctly is we can't just race into the block. When we turn into the block, you've got eyes on the fire building. We slow the rig down as we pass it. We get a full view of the building. Um, obviously, in your world, you might not get a full view of the building because it's a, you know, a block long and in the middle. But the fire building itself, you're getting a full view of it. You're slowing down as you come into the block, and you're getting a full view of what you have so you can estimate that stretch correctly. Because um, obviously, that's going to set everything up for success or failure. If you get the first line wrong, you're, you're going to fail. Um, but as we move on, I, I want to talk about another thing you talk about that I think can be misunderstood um, and really is a, a, a tempo thing in the way you operate inside um, and from a truck perspective that you talk about. And it was something that kind of always, you know, caught my mind when I heard, heard you talk about it. Um, and I think it might be lost, especially to a lot of newer guys that maybe it wasn't passed on to. But the way you size up from the inside out, once you're already operating inside and you take a moment every once in a while, get a look, and you resize up the building, the conditions, and how far you've actually traveled. Yeah, so like I stated earlier, that tempo is an ongoing thing. It's like a heartbeat, if you will. Um, if you run four or five miles, your heartbeat increases, and then you have to breathe properly to lower it. Same thing on the fire ground. That, that tempo of the fire comes from your heart rate, comes from that adrenaline rush as the fire is expanding and it's doing its thing throughout the fire building. Um, you have to be able to dial that in. And we have the heads-up display now in the masks. And I remember when that first came out, I was not a fan whatsoever. I said, this is going to blind me from seeing the fire glow, which is ridiculous looking back now. <laughs> I truly feel that. It's probably one of – no, it's crazy. But now it's probably one of the most um, important tools I use on the fire ground because the slow blinking light, right, that orange light blinking off in your face piece, it's telling you what? It's telling you that you're half at a cylinder. Everything you do at that point now, you're past that threshold. You're at the point of no return. You keep pushing forward. So we have to dial it back in. Once that goes off, that's a beacon in my brain that's blinking. Okay, let me pause. Let me reevaluate, orientate, and observe what's going on. Then deciding and acting to finding a second means of egress or simply just sticking my head out the window and saying, get me a ground ladder over here. I have to have a point of return. While you're getting that point of return, you're resizing the building up from the inside out. Years ago, before the masks, all these salty dogs would be taking a feed in there. They'd stick their head out. They would take a blow, take a breath, and they'd resize the building up. They would reset the tempo of the fire. We've lost that with bunker gear and the fear of manipulating a flow state or a, a flow path in the building. People are scared to take windows. I'm not saying break windows. Isolate that door, and if you have to open it, not take it. Open it, call for a ladder, stick your head out, and realize, wow, I've traveled about 10 feet. I thought I'd traveled 40 feet. It's very similar to the analogy of anyone swimming in the ocean. Having a great time with your buddies, you pop up, and you're three hotels away. And you're like, how the hell did that happen? Same thing on the fire floor, but reversed. You feel like you've traveled a certain amount of distance. In reality, you've probably traveled about a quarter of that distance. So by resizing that up can allow you to push on farther into that flat, into the apartment, to that, that dwelling, but it allows you to just recalibrate and then reset that tempo. Yeah, and I think that's something that um, I just I hear you teach with it and I, or post about it, 
And I think it's something that's, that's a topic that's not really passed on as much in a lot of jobs anymore, maybe as much as it is in yours. And it's something people can really take from of, even if it's not taking the window and poking your head out all the time, but the, hey, I'm at the point of no return just by looking at the heads-up display, or how far have I really traveled, and calming down and figuring that out. But I got two more, two more specific topics I want to hit on, both related to specifically what you have a lot of experience in teaching for, for FDNY and all that, but also in, a, in relation to tempo. And going back to Fairhope, we did this the day you were there uh, in the live fire with us. But So you have the Mayday. You are, this is an engine podcast, so you're the first new engine. Your assignment is fire attack, and you're stretching the line when a mayday occurs. We had, to, we had some guys that they just they stayed on it. Other guys, what was it? It was, I got to get the mayday. We have to put the fire out. We have to stay controlled into our assignment. Like you say, you, I say assignment, but you're, you're like a lot of times you just say positioning, and I mean the same thing with assignment. But that positioning on the fire and what your job was and that you're buying time for that rescue you can't get out of control. You have to maintain that same tempo of the tempo to me of the fire change. The tempo of your assignment was to put that fire out. And then it's now even more important. You have to buy time to get your brothers out. Your thoughts on that? Or any, any so, tips on it for how people can coordinate that? Well, obviously everything I speak of comes to what we speak about today is the tempo, the cadence, the rhythm, but we, have, we haven't talked about a time. Time is, in fact, a tool on the fire ground, and by understanding that will allow you to make the right decision by resetting time. We can reset time on the fire ground. Um, so in that scenario we were doing there, sometimes they abandoned the nozzle, and sometimes they put water on the fire. By putting water on the fire, you reset time. Again, time is a tool. And by putting water on the fire, you automatically reset time. It's like hitting a button. And you just bought yourself a good five, six, seven, eight minutes sometimes. If you don't have a line, let's talk about isolating that room. Now, we're talking about a down firefighter. Water on the fire. We have to get water on the fire. We cannot be focus-driven on the rescue. I don't care if you have three people on the fire ground. We cannot abandon that line to rescue the firefighter. Putting the fire out will save the firefighter's life quicker than you and going and packaging a firefighter and removing it while fire is looking over your head. And uh, I think that we've kind of gotten lost from that from so many tremendous, tremendous, tremendous um, hands-on classes throughout the country, but we're not really focusing on just basic water on the fire. And I think that's what, what we did in Alabama was great by resetting time, recalibrating time, allowing us to think clearly get that mindset into skill set, and get the firefighter properly. And that came from designating one member of the fast trucker rip team to the nozzle. Get the nozzle, and they flowed water constantly into their – they removed that fire. So by resetting time, it's a key, key element, but we have to be able to do that. Yeah, and before I move on to the next topic, I wanted to build that into a post you made. Uh, but if you have that nozzle – your job, you were spending a lot of time in the truck. If they go past you, if they go above you, you've committed to them. And you control a lot with time. And to me, I say tempo is a lot of your personal tempo too. So staying under control, not losing control of your mind, not panicking, not getting out of what is operationally needed of you. If they're above you, they're in front of you, things start going south, you've committed to them. When you nodded to them and you told them they, could, they were going past you and you recognized that, you committed to them, and you committed to protecting them with that line. And so to me, staying in control, so to me, a personal tempo, is not losing your, your thought process, your control there, and you honor that commitment you gave to them and you protect them with that line so they get to you and you can get them out. And I know you posted on it a little bit the other day, so I wanted to build that where we did it in Fairhope with the May Day, but into just simple operations of that truck's operating in front of you or they're operating above you as well. Yeah, so when that truck company goes above you or opposite you, whatever it may be, again, the engine company, the infantry of the fire service. Now, think about, think about that statement. Infantry of the fire service always progressively moving forward. Uh, 
So if you go above, and I, I and I understand that a lot, not a lot of departments are putting guys above. Staffing issues. Some chiefs think it's dangerous. Well, wake up call. It's a dangerous job, and that's where people are mostly endangered. That being said, when the members do go above, the brothers go above, you got to let that boss and that nozzle man know that you're going above. Once you do that, you just punch the time card. Again, time's a tool. You punch the time card with that nozzle man. And the only place that engine company is going is to the burn center if the brothers are above. No one's leaving that building if they're above. That engine company is going to continuously to progressively move forward and knock fire down. Time to go. It's got to be a coordinated evacuation of the building. And there's a difference. And we talked about since they were in the class. Um, moving a line and backing the line out, two separate terminology. If you're moving a line, you're moving it within the fire building. If you're backing a line out, we're leaving the fire building. And that has to be communicated to the floor above. It's very important that we communicate that to the floor above. Yeah, and a, a key word you said there is communication. And I think just me talking to people when I travel, one thing that's also kind of lost is the communication over the radio of we've got water on the fire. And from a truck's perspective, especially from operating above, because I don't, I don't have that perspective. I've been in an engine my whole career. But I hear you talk about it. When you hear the engine say or call for water or they say water on the fire or you feel that water, that stream striking the ceiling, which is below your knees, what does that do for the, for the truck to simply give that communication in as far as their tempo now? as they're operating on that floor above. How, how key is that for, for departments that don't have as much experience with having people operating in the floor above, and then they get that fire where they have to? And that simple communication of we've got water on the fire and what that does for that truck company that's operating on the floor above. Anthony, I'll even dial it back to when I was a truck chauffeur. If I'm responding to a fire as the extra truck or the first doing the second of or something, and I hear over the Wahani talk, if you got water on the fire, I'm not excited to hear that. I'll be honest. I think everybody in the back steps let down because we're ready to go to work. We want to perform. But, again, that dials back my tempo as a chauffeur to maybe just dial it back a bit. We'll get there when we get there. They got water on the fire. Now, of course, everything can happen after that in a negative domino effect in the reverse cycle. But that being said, that tempo of just responding, um, it changes. Now, on the fire floor, on the floors above, operating, water on the fire is a very, very important transmission you have to make. It's probably the most important transmission that is made on the fire ground is water on the fire. That sets that tempo, that heart rate, that's skyrocketed with real-life stress to a lower level to think clearly. It kind of takes the weight off your shoulders like with anything. Um, I love that you said water on your knees there's nothing better feeling when you're on the floor above doing a search and you feel the water bouncing off and using the tenement there's no better feeling in the world while you're operating on the floor above um unfortunately not too many people get to experience that feeling but that feeling is the feeling of success um so just know that if the members are operating up there communication is key but communication doesn't always have to come from verbal it's by simply taking that line and just hitting that ceiling, knowing the, letting the brothers know, we got you, we got water below you, we're going to be good here. Yeah, so the last topic I want to talk about, and um, before we, we go to our final thoughts and close it out, uh, something we, we both talked about in our classes when we're together, we've had discussions personally about it with our personal experiences, um, and I know for me personally, the tempo changed for me, um, everything slowed down, uh, and, and ones that happened later in my career. But we've both talked about Mayday situa- situations we've been in personally. Uh, I had one when I, was, when I was new on the job, only a couple of years in. Uh, and, and it, it, yeah, we've talked about it. It was a bad situation. Um, you know, in the tempo, everything was going so fast for me to comprehend what was happening while I was in that building. Um, but I was a part of another one a couple, uh, just a few years ago where I was actually on the RIT team. Um, and, and we were helping shuttle these guys out of the building, and everything slowed down. And I think part of that is the experience of what had happened to me in the, the one when I was young. Um, well, so not that old, but you know what I mean, younger in the fire service. But to where I understood the situation a little better, and I understood 
for us to get these guys out and, and control this situation, we can't, we can't lose it. We've got to stay under control. Uh, we've got to keep account of who's in here, getting everybody out and dealing with everything. But from our discussions with situations you've had personally, I've had personally, but through your, your experience teaching firefighter rescue at The Rock, the way I hear you teach about mindset and breathing, do you have any tips for anybody if you find yourself in that situation? And maybe it's, it's not a – I'm not even just talking a, a absolute mayday. I'm talking about a young guy that simply gets disoriented and loses his boss, and he just needs to find his boss. You can't, you can't lose your mind. You've got to stay under control. You've got to control that tempo you're personally going to operate at and the ways that they can do – they can go about getting control of their mind and operating in a way that's going to get them out of that building. Yeah, again, I think it all comes back to breathing. I mean, I don't want to beat that up too much, but um, everything we do is breathing. You can take the most in-shape firefighter in your firehouse and put up against the senior guy, and I guarantee you that senior guy outlasts his cylinder because he was trained over time to breathe like a firefighter. Um, that's something in the fire academies across the nation. We're just lost in it. We're just lost. We're not teaching breathing in the fire academy. Think about that. You may get a fire instructor here and there to pull you aside and go over breathing. And, and I'm one of those instructors. I'll go over breathing with you. But we should have a dialed-in class how to breathe like a firefighter. I think if anything you could do to allow you to be safer on the fire ground is to learn how to breathe. Um, again, something tremendously overlooked. Now, let's push to the other spectrum. You're in the moment where there's nothing else left. And they say, you see your life flash before you. And that's a real thing. It really is. My only advice in that situation is to look through it. Don't fall into it. Don't fall suited to it. Because that's your mind shutting down and then trying to bring comfort to you in a moment of extreme, extreme distress. If you can allow yourself to push through those moments, breathe properly, you'll be able to think clearly with the few seconds you have left to get out alive. And I think that's something that we need to dial in on, not only with the probies, but throughout the entire fire service. It's pushing through that moment of, of no return. Um, it's like the sky opens up and it draws you in and you just follow the path of light. In reality, on the fire floor, those were operating under seconds. Time's a tool, and if you can use that time as your advantage, benefit from it, learn how to manipulate it, and then survive from it. Yeah, and I wanted to ask that because I really felt like you were going to go into to breathing again. So for me, uh, box breathing is, is what's best for me. It, it really not only does it conserve air and get me breathing under control, for me it resets my mind. It brings everything in, into more of a state of, of calmness, whether it's in, in a, a, a bad situation or just operating and I feel myself, I've worked hard, I'm starting to hyperventilate. It gets everything in my body, for me, under control. To close it out, before you give your final thoughts, I was hoping you would just give, give some people, even if it's not how to do it, some ideas of some breathing resources. I know we already talked about um, uh, Danny, is that, that's his name, right, that you uh, worked with, that you're yeah, teaching with. I can't think of his last name. I know his first name is Danny. Um, I know that's a resource people can go out and find a class if he's teaching, but I know, like, in your class you give some resources and some methods people can look up on how they could start doing this on their own literally tomorrow in the firehouse. I mean, you can Google any resource. I mean, that's Google's a huge thing. Um, Breathing with Warriors is a tremendous book, and, and, and Danny is a part of that book, trained by the, the doctor who put that together. Um, but if you dial in on a breathing technique, it's as simple as, like, you're sitting in traffic, driving to work, commuting, laying in bed, uh, waiting for your cup of coffee, you can practice these breathing techniques. I do it every day. I'm at the point now where I operate throughout my life. Get breathing. Breathe in, hold, breathe in again, and then simply exhale through your gut. Pretty much most of the day is how I'm breathing. And uh, it took a while to get there, but that comes from just repetition and practice. Um, and if you have trouble with sleeping, believe it or not, that, that was the main thing for me. Like I had trouble falling asleep or whatever it is. Concentrate on your breathing relaxes you, lowers your heart rate, allows you to think clearly, but it also allows you not to think 
so much, and then you can simply fall asleep. That was the big benefit I found from it that worked great for me. Yeah, I knew that I knew there was a book, and I couldn't think of it off the top of my head that uh, you always reference in your class. I thought that would be just good since we've hit on breathing a few times for to put a resource out there. So before we close it out on the topic of just what we've talked about tonight, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of tempo on the fire ground. Just your final kind of final closing closing thought on tempo, the importance of controlling the tempo on the fire ground to be successful. Whatever you whatever you think the just a, a final important note to put out there as a closing thought to close out the show on the idea of tempo on the fire ground. So tempo on the fire ground. It's not the first and last thing you do. It has to happen continuously. Similar to size up. We always talk about size up. We have all these acronyms for size up. We have to understand that size up happens throughout the fire. Like, it's just not on arrival, I'm sizing up the building. I'm sizing up weather conditions. No, you're sizing up within a moment, within moments. So moving forward, that tempo, that breathing, that pausing, it all allows you to dial in time as a factor tool, and you can manipulate time, will allow you to manipulate the fire. I always say, um, never let fire dictate your actions. You dictate the fire, and I truly believe that, and that comes from understanding who you are on the fire ground and where you absolutely fit in. And you can identify where fitting in on the fire by just slowing down. That's simply it, slowing down, taking a breath, and understanding where you fit in will allow you to be a great firefighter. Yes, I agree. And one, the way, like, for my brain, the way I think of it is just a lot of times just swap out the word tempo for control, is that we're going to operate in a yeah. controlled manner. We have to control the fire ground, not have it control us. And in order to do that, I have to operate in a way that I'm in control of my mind and my body. And that's going to dictate how – if I get out of control – the tempo's off because we're, we're, I'm not operating efficiently or effectively. So to me, it's just I just swap the, the words out. And to be, I have to be in control for us to control the fire ground kind of thing for me personally. So um, as we close it out, I'll let you kind of finish it last, Mickey, and close it out. But um, if you have any questions you want to reach out, uh, I know you can reach out to Todd at any time. He's on Facebook, uh, Todd Edwards. You can reach out to me. Uh, his, also, his page is Fire Life Training. Uh, you can reach out to me, Facebook or Instagram, through Port City Fire Training. Um, I'll be at FDIC at the end of the month and a few other places around that, but I want to leave this time for you, Mickey. I know you got a lot of stuff coming up. Um, I know you got a popular page, and uh, I think people would uh, like the opportunity to hear you speak and get your message in person because uh, after having heard it so many times, I think there's uh, – you, you can only read so much on Instagram. There's a lot that of context that's – that Instagram doesn't provide that when you actually take the class, you, you really get a lot more insight into what you're trying to put out there, and there's a lot of value to it. So I always appreciate the opportunities to sit through the class when we travel together. So uh, give everyone an opportunity of where they can find you, uh, get in touch with you if they have a question, and where they might be able to see you uh, present your, one of your classes at in the future. Thank you, Anthony, for the kind words. Uh, again, I love traveling with you and Todd. And, um, learn so much from the both of you as well. I got a lot coming up. Um, a lot of it's battery stuff, so that's a whole other topic we can get into another time. But um, so I'm in East Providence, April 13th. Garfield, New Jersey, April 22nd. Levittown, PA, April 25th. Up in Massachusetts in Wakefield with the uh, New England Fools, a great group of guys up there. Uh, that's April 29th. Kitten Falls, May 7th, and that's with um, Breathing with Danny. Danny is on Survivor right now, so all you Survivor buffs, he's the firefighter Danny on the show, but we'll be doing something together with him, and he's doing his breathing, and he'll really take your breathing to the next level. Um, and then I have a bunch of stuff in May, but we'll get into that. Uh, on my website, which you can check out at topwithtastics.com, or you can reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, those are my two pretty much only platforms that I've, I'm on. So but thanks for tuning in, and I appreciate the opportunity, Anthony. Thank you. No, absolutely. Appreciate your time. But uh, we'll see you. Uh, what we see, I'll, I'll be with you in uh, June. We'll see each other in June, and then you'll be back in Alabama in, uh, in August. So, But uh, I appreciate your time, bro. Go be with your family. Uh, have Enjoy the rest of the night. Good man.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.